0: got your Bibles, we want to turn with me to the book of Romans. That's going to be our text this morning. We uh, started doing this years ago, this idea that the president gets to do a State of the Union Address. I thought, well, I'm not the president, but I'm the pastor. It starts with a P. I should be able to do this. The funny thing is, is the State of the Union Address, I mean, the, the guy, I don't care which president it is, he's not barely done At the end, and all of a sudden, somebody else is showing up on TV giving a word of rebuttal, all right? Giving a different vision. See, that's the nice thing about what I get to do. There will be no rebuttal, (laughs) all right? At least not publicly. It might be in your heart. And secondly, hopefully you understand there's there's no other real vision because what I'm trying to share is what I believe God is giving us as the vision of, of of what he's calling us to. And so we're excited about 2019, we're excited about what the Lord's doing, we're excited about having you. Uh, notice that uh, we're going to have a great morning, so if you got your Bibles, Romans, we're going to start there in verse 8. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests. If perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So when we think about 2019, to me it's helpful to kind of think back a little bit on kind of literally the history of of Desert Springs. I know every year we've got new folk. You really don't know much about Desert Springs. But Desert Springs was actually planted back in 1983. That's before some of you were developing eyelids, all right? 1983, it was planted by a man by the name of Don Jensen and his wife. And they, their mandate was to go and to plant a church in the far southwest valley. 1983. So today, in 2019, we sat at what 144th Ave in Indian School in 19. And you know how much farther west and how much farther south this valley goes, right? 1983, the far west valley where the church was planted was 87th Avenue and Encanto. That was far southwest back then. So the valley's grown. And over the first uh, nine years that he was there with the church, they, they bought a building. Uh, it was, uh, for them, it was a great thing. Uh, honestly, not even sure the church would be alive today without that building because that kind of became a glue piece. But to be honest with you, from somebody who wasn't involved with that and kind of jumped into it later, I could tell you, uh, someone who lives in that world, you could write a book about where not to put a church by where this one was. First of all, you have to know in Phoenix that if you're going to survive, I'm sure it's probably the same thing in business, but as a church, you need to be on a main road. Well, they weren't on a main road. They were back in a neighborhood. Secondly, the main road that we were closest to is Bethany Home. And if you're familiar with the West Valley there in Glendale at all, you know Bethany Home is the one east-west road that doesn't go through. It stops at 83rd Avenue. It is truly the road to nowhere they've put a nice park down there now. There's still some vacant land. Last time I was there, but it was the road to nowhere. But that's where, that's where the church was. The founding pastor left. Another pastor came in for about a year. Best I could tell, probably just wasn't a good fit. By the fall of 1994, the church was, I mean, not only could they not afford to call a new pastor, they couldn't even afford to make their mortgage payment and were falling be, further behind. They were probably three to four weeks from closing the doors. They approached a sister church uh, and for those of you who don't know, we are we an are independent church. We're non-denominational, but we are a part of an association. Our churches are independent, some more fiercely independent than others. Uh, but we're all independent, but we just we work together to help. And that's part of what this was about. And so they came to us as a sister church. It was called Pongcroft. I was on staff there. I was the executive pastor. Said, hey, could you come and help us? So I went and preached for them a few times in the fall. And, and then they, kind of, hey, would you guys think about taking us over? But they had this half million dollars debt on this church that nobody would want plus two houses and Pondcroft thought, well, man, we're not sure we want the debt. Here's what we'll do. We've been trying to get rid of Steve. We'll send him. <laughs> and so sure enough, they shipped me down here. Uh, and uh, with about four or five other families. That most people don't know this, but the first year I was the pastor here at Desert Springs 24 years ago, I was only here in on the weekends. I was still the executive pastor at Palmcroft. That's what I did during the week, and I was down on the weekends. And then they continued to help us. So my first Sunday, we, there were 55 of us so, maybe if you took one of these far sections, maybe we might have to vote a couple people out uh, to get down to that. But that was it 55 of us men, women, children, probably a couple stray dogs running through the yard that day. We used to count more evangelistically back then. And uh, that's how we started. We had no missionaries. You know why we had no missionaries? Because we had no money. In, the, in this building that you had a hard time. In fact, I can't tell you how many people from Palm Ground say, hey, I'm going to come down, visit with you on a Sunday. That'd be great. I'd run into them a month later. They go, you know, we drove. We couldn't even find you. It's not good when you're a church and people are actually trying to find you and they can't. But God blessed and, uh, you know, some, some really cool things happened. Uh, when the, the, actually, the first ministry we started uh, 24 years ago at Desert Springs was to try and p- to train people in evangelism. The first person that got saved in that ministry 24 years ago was a beautiful young lady by name uh, who was a, uh, she was a junior at Independence High School. She was the captain of the cheerleading team. Man, she came to faith in Jesus, was so excited, but within about two weeks of her having accepted Christ, she found out she was pregnant. She really wanted to do what the Lord wanted her to do with that baby. Her, her family really wanted her to keep it, but she, she knew that she couldn't provide for it and just really wanted to be raised in a good Christian, and most of her family weren't, weren't saved. And so she put it up for adoption to a Christian home and found a wonderful Christian family over in the east side. She graduated from high school, went on a couple of our SMI trips and went to Southwestern Bible College. And you, you talk about God being a God of reconciliation and redemption. When she graduated and it came out with her teaching degree, do you know what her first job after, high sc- or after college was? She taught abstinence in high schools for the Crisis Pregnancy Center. She had quite a f- phenomenal testimony. She ultimately ended up marrying a, a, a guy that was a ministry. She's a pastor's wife. Lord's given them four beautiful children. They still have a great relationship with their son. Uh, grew up in a wonderful Christian home. I mean, God just did some great things. And then you fast forward 24 years, and we're here today. And I was thinking about all that we have been through, the, the, the nine years that we were there in, in Glendale, and then it was 15 years ago actually right now where we moved just about a quarter of a mile down the road to Litchfield Park. Uh, then three years after that, 12 years ago this Sunday was our first Sunday in this building. So January is like a big month for us. And you think about all that we've done and the mission trips that we, so we've sent hundreds of people on mission trips and seen thousands of people come to faith in Christ. We, we've helped a little church down in Gila Bend for a year. There's a church up in Peoria that we came alongside for about a four or five month period while their pastor was dealing with burnout and, and helped them get along the way. Uh, God is blessed. We've been able right now, we support monthly, every single month, 45 missionaries and mission organizations to a tune of a little over $300,000 a year. Trying to get the good news of the gospel out. You know, God has just been so good and so faithful to us. But the thing I want you to understand this morning is that from the very beginning, our hearts desire, our, our Commitment and what we've been working towards is this idea of making disciples. You know, it's not about trying to grow a large church. It's not trying to become about, you know, the church, or, you know, the kind of cool church. It's, it's just been, we have been dis- committed to trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I, I've shared with you before, one of, the cool, one of the really simple things and one of the great things about working in church ministries, you don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about your mission statement because jesus kind of gave it to you go make disciples of all nations now we express it differently Uh, if you've been here 24 years ago this is how we express it in these three words evangelize establish and equip they all had ease right 95 that worked really good But that was the heart of what we were trying to do. We wanted people to come to faith in Christ. We wanted to be a gospel-centric church. We wanted to be about seeing people's lives change through the power of the gospel. But then once they came to faith in Christ, we wanted to see them established, to grow in their faith. We wanted to to be a a Bible-centered church and getting people into the word and growing in their faith. But then ultimately, that's not it. We want them now to be equipped. You know, Ephesians says that it is the work of the pastors to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so it's the idea that everybody ministers. So, you know, times change, culture changes. Uh, A few years ago, we realized that people aren't so interested in what we're trying to do as a church as much as when they come, what do you want me to do? So we kind of took those three ideas and we put them just in a little context. You would know them better this way, is engage, connect, and live. First of all, if you're here, we want you to engage with God. We want you to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. It's all about Him. And if you're here today is your first time, or maybe you've been here a number of times and you don't know Jesus, man, that's where it all begins. He's the one that will change your life. Not a church. It's Jesus. It's a personal relationship with him. But we also want you to grow. And we believe that the best way to grow is to connect with others. Discipleship always happens in community. In fact, you know, when you look at all of this, of what we just read there in Romans 1, it's all kind of there. It starts with the the evangelism piece. He talks there in verse 8. I thank God because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. These people having come to faith in Christ to change lives, that testimony was going forward. Then he talks about in verse 11, for I long to see you so that I may impart a spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by one another's faith, both yours and mine. Paul's talking about community here. He says, I want to come because I want to share with you the thing that God has gifted me and I want to be ministered to you by you so that we will all grow in the faith. That happens in community. It happens in connection with other people. But again, that's not it. There's the third piece, which is just so important that is to live on mission. In fact, that's what Paul goes on and says there in verse 13. He says, "I want to come so that I may obtain some fruit among you, even as among the rest of the Gentiles." And again, in verse fifteen, so in my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Folks, we got to understand that we are all missionaries. You know, before I said we've got forty-five mission or missionaries, mission organizations, missionaries that we support every month. The truth is, those are the ones that we actually give money to. The rest of us who actually give to do that we're missionaries too. Because everybody who knows Jesus is here on mission. We are to be light. We are to be salt. We are to both live Jesus and to share Jesus. And if we can ever get this into our mind, it'll completely not only change our lives, but it will change the West Valley. That's what we're called to do. Now, How do you do that? Philosophically, as a church, we are committed to what we call an oikos-driven model. If you've been around here, you've heard that term oikos. If you're new, let me explain it to you. Oikos is a Greek word. It doesn't just stand for Greek yogurt, though you will find that in your local supermarket. What the Greek word actually means, as it's used in the New Testament, is this idea of household your home, your people. And the idea here is, is that everybody does life with a group of people. That is your oikos. Everybody has 8 to 15 to 20 people. It can be family members. It can be neighbors. It can be work associates. It can be dear friends. It's just people you do life with. And when you look at it, historically, that is how the gospel spreads, 78% 78% of everybody who comes to faith in Christ comes to a relative or a friend. I'd love to tell you, it is through the powerful preaching of pastors. But you know, actually less than 3% of all people who come to faith in Christ comes through that. I wish I could tell you it was through Christian television because we sink a lot of money into that. Do you know less than 1% of people who come to faith in Christ come through Christian television? nearly 80% is to a relative or friend. You think in your life, most of you, that's what you're going to come up with. In fact, 80% of you. That's where it happens. And so, with that, uh, that's how we do ministry. We are not what I would call an attractional church. Uh, and and please understand I'm not criticizing those who do it a different way and I want to be very careful about that because I think God calls us to different things but one of the models of doing church out there today is this idea that your job in this whole thing is just to invite the people that you know who don't know Jesus and we're going to come and we're going to put on this really incredible show we're going to share Jesus they're going to get saved and that's kind of how it works But that's not what we're doing. Now, to be honest with you, we're not trying to make you miserable here on a Sunday morning. You know, we're not trying to put on a really lame worship service. No, we want you to engage with God. But that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is you as a believer... We're trying to encourage you. We're trying to equip you. We're trying to build you up to motivate you to go live on mission because we think that is the way the gospel goes the best. We think that's the best way to make disciples. And so that's why typically, we do expository Bible preaching. We just did 1 Corinthians. We're going to be jumping into Philippians. Now, having said that, we try to give you a few times a year where you want to invite people to come. It'll be a great time for them to come. For instance, Christmas Eve, we told you. We're going to be very evangelistic. If you came, you understood. It was just simply all about the gospel. I hope you brought your friends. These next four weeks, this faith, family, and finance series is really designed to give you a hook to invite Hey. Want to come to church with me? We're talking about finances and how that works in our, our family's life. We want it to be, and it's going to be a little more evangelistic, but a heart of what we do is expository Bible preaching. Why? Because we're trying to make disciples. And we think the best way to do that is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, having said all that, a couple years ago, I was having this discussion with our elders. And the question became, is how do we know if we're making disciples? Because see, I, I give some leadership to our association of churches, and I talk to churches all the time that quite honestly talk a really good game. Man, if you were to listen to them, you think they're setting the world on fire in their community all coming to faith in Christ. Problem is, as you start digging deeper, you find out that nobody's getting saved, there's been no baptism, their numbers are declining, and, and their influence in the community is almost n- nil, And so how, how is it that we, we know that we're making disciples? How is it that we figure this thing out? Because, you know, it's not just enough to talk a good game. We, we, we've got to be engaged. And, and to be honest with you, you want to live in my world, this is that question which if you want to go to a conference about pastoring, it's basically about this question. How do you measure this? Do we just measure it by numbers You know, butts in the seat and money in the, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but um, (laughs) and and money in the offering plate, Is, is that measure if you're making disciples? Because we know that some of it is, it's hard to measure, right? Because, you know, people grow, but growth is it always like this. Sometimes people are here, some people are there. You know, it's all a part of that becoming more like Christ. How do you measure this thing? And the truth is, uh, if you can answer that question, come see me. We will write a book and you will not have to worry about your retirement. Because it'll sell a billion copies. It's, it's the tension of trying to figure this thing out. And so our elders wrestled with it for months and What do we, when we get five years down the line, when we get to 2022 and we look back, how will we know if we're actually moving the ball and making disciples? We came up with four goals for these five years. Uh, Let me talk to you about them real quick. The first one was this if people grow more being in community than we wanted to see at least 75% of our church family, people who attend, and that's a whole nother number. Do <laughs> you know that uh, this morning, uh, well, not this morning, last night, you know, we have a 5 o'clock Saturday service, by the way, if that works for you. Uh, but last night, this morning, uh, between all of our four services, we're, we're going to have 100, 150, 200 people that aren't here. All right? And don't throw stones at them because next week you could be one of them, right? And it's not because you're mad. It's not because you decided not to go home. It's just, you know, maybe you don't feel good. Maybe you're going to be traveling. Maybe something, maybe something, whatever. It's just, it's kind of, so you know, really what size? And when we start thinking 75%, kind of what's that number? It's a a very interesting question. 75% of our people in connected in small groups. And at that time, uh, two years ago, we, we think that number is about 38, maybe 39%. So if we're going to move it, what are we going to do? Well, we, we change our life group to connect groups. And by the way, you'll start hearing about them next week, our next round starting February. We want you to be a part of the connect group. You heard today about the Bible studies on Tuesday morning. We have Bible studies here on Sunday morning. There's places for you to connect. I am thrilled to tell you that this past fall, that number had risen from sixty or from um, 38% to we were about 69% this this last fall. So we're making progress. That's good. The other number was this, that we want 65% of our people serving at least twice a month, serving the Lord, either here at the church or in some kind of outside community. But it's particularly service for what Jesus does. Now, of course, it's easy for us to count the people to serve here. If you don't tell us what you're doing out there, that's a little harder. So please do tell us if you're serving, you know, in some organization. But we also have folks that do foster care. Man, they're not serving twice a month. They're serving 24-7. And we think we were about 32, 33%. That number this last fall was about 55%. So we're excited. We're, we're making some progress. People are getting engaged. That's a really cool thing. We wanted to plant two churches. Because if you remember back in 2016, part of what we did was we planted Mission Church down there about cotton and Yuma. In fact, by the way, if you live down in that area and you wanted to go someplace a little closer, there's a great church there in the Copper Trails High School. And we sent them out. They're running over 200 now, and that's a great thing. We thought, man, wouldn't this be awesome? We could plant two more churches. My hope was we'd have a couple of our guys on staff that were ready to go do that. At this point, they don't want to do that. Uh, so we I mean I've been uh, for the last year I've been meeting with people and trying to find somebody we could bring on staff here because you know we've been ready to go to get that process rolling now for about six months and we just man it's we've got some ongoing conversations right now if this is one if I could ask you to pray about would you please pray about because one of the things I've also learned in time that sometimes when you feel God lead you someplace, and then when you take the step, it's just kind of silent. Sometimes He's just saying it's not the right timing yet, and other times maybe He's wanting to expand your horizons. And one of the things I'd ask you to pray about uh, in the last month or so, we've had a couple churches that have started to want me have some conversations about could we come alongside and help them. Maybe take them over long term. Make them a satellite. Or could we come alongside for a couple of years to help get them up on their feet? So we're trying to think, okay, maybe, Lord, is that what you're wanting us to do? So I'd really appreciate your prayers on that. But it's our goal. We want to help establish the broader church. The fourth one is this. So we want to see 1,250 people come to faith in Christ through us. Through us sharing our faith. You see, it's one thing to say, hey, we're oikos-centric, man. We're all out there living on mission. But if nobody's getting saved, we're just deceiving ourselves. And so we set that as a goal. And, you know, when we talk about going on mission trips, and it's one thing to go tell people over there, it's a whole other thing, to be engaged in our life. And so we set this as our goal, 1,250. You say, well, how did you come up with that number? Well, we kind of took that big number of us from junior high on up through those of us who are more mature. We said, you know, if over the five-year period, if every one of us could just lead one person to Christ, that would get us to 1250. It's the funny thing about the 1250 goal. I had some people get upset about that one, and, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But sometimes I look at it and I say, man, that's ought to be the easiest goal in the bunch. If all of us just in five years get to lead one person to Jesus, That's it? What a a miserable goal. It should have been a lot bigger than that. And there's other times I look at it and I go, 1,250, how are we ever going to reach that? Why did I set that one so high? And and to be honest with you, it's just like any other goal. It's, there's nothing magical about 75%, 65%. There's nothing magical about 1250. They're just mile markers. Help us to know if we're making progress. This is the one. I, I'm so happy we set this because here's the thing. This is the one we're lagging on. So as of this morning, to those of you that have shared your opportunities, where you've seen those people you've been praying for, shared faith with, come to faith in Christ, we're about 201. We should be about 500. So that's a great thing. And that's what kind of leads me into this whole idea of what 2019 is going to be about. The reality is the mile marker says, listen, we're making some good progress in some others. We've been focused on them, but this has got to be the year of the gospel conversation. We've got to understand we just can't talk a good game here. We've got to be about the gospel. Now, before we begin, I want to make a point. I want to make sure you understand this. The truth is, is that there's not a one of us in here that can save anybody. You got that? All right, you remember what Paul said here in verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it, what? The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. The truth is there's nobody in here who's got the ability to share the gospel in such a way, to tell an illustration in such a way that it grabs somebody's heart and bowls them to Jesus, we're, we're, we're just broken vessels when it comes to that. So I've had people say, well, why did you put professions of faith then if we really, we can't control that? Well, it's true. We can't control that. We, we're not capable. But there's another adage that's just as true. And that is, the more you share the gospel, the more people come to faith in Christ. If you don't share the gospel, you'll never see anybody come to faith in Christ. In fact, that's what Paul was even saying. He says, I I come there in verse 13 so that I can have some fruit among you. Verse 15, so on my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He understood that for the gospel, yes, it's a work of God, but God uses us and it's that partnership. And so when we think of the partnership and that we want to see 1,250 people come to faith in Christ, we're reminded that A, we have a part in this. And our part starts with prayer. Someone has said that evangelism without prayer is merely presumption. In fact, isn't it interesting here back in verse 9 and 10, Paul, his whole thing starts with prayer. Always in my prayer making requests. If perhaps now by God's will, I'll be able to come to you. Prayer is at the heart of this. If this is a work of God, that God's got to do someone's work in somebody's life, then then, man, I've got to pray. I've got to make this at the heart of what I'm praying about. And so later on today, in fact, maybe you've noticed these. I'm not going to a new plexiglass pulpit. Don't worry about it. But one of the things that we're doing this weekend, and these are going to be around all year, is we want to put the names of the people that is a church that we're praying for that will come to faith in Christ this year. And so we put their name, first name, last name, uh, whatever, the date, because we'd love to see, hey, when they came to faith in Christ, let's go put a PTL by that and a a date, we'll rejoice together. But these are going to be here. You come during the week, you can come by, you can see them, you can pray. This coming Wednesday night, we're going to gather to pray and to worship. We're going to pray for these names. During the, week, during the year, you're going to have people that you're going to meet that God's going to lay them on your heart. Come write their names on it so that we can be praying, praying that God will be working. In fact, it's interesting. Paul in Ephesians says this, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. Now, we read that and we go, oh, but think about that. The Apostle Paul said that. Not not timid little you and me, but, the, but the, the lion, the guy who turned the world upside down. He says, listen, I need you to pray for me so that I will have boldness, so that I will have the right words. If Paul wanted prayer for evangelism, then certainly we need to be praying for that. In fact, Jesus, when... He saw the multitudes, he's moved with compassion. He says this, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Funny thing is, today in America, in our theology, we've decided there's something wrong with the harvest. Jesus looked at the harvest, there's nothing wrong with it. Problems with the labors. Notice what his solution is. Therefore pray. Pray earnestly. Pray diligently. Pray to the Lord that he would send forth labors. We've got to pray. We've got to be praying and asking God to work in their hearts. Secondly, we have to prepare. That's why most people don't share their faith. They just they don't feel like they have the confidence to even know what to share. You know, the message on one hand is so simple. That because we're sinners, we're separated from God. And so God, in his wisdom, came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was the perfect son of God, came and died in our place, bore our sins, bore our penalties so that we could be forgiven. He was put to death on the cross. He was raised from the dead, and now he's alive today. It's a simple message, isn't it? But it's a hard message to communicate to people's minds who have been closed to that. And so to learn to take classes, we have classes on evangelism, classes on sharing with your Mormon friends, classes on on witnessing to those that are Muslims. We have uh, mission trips. Man, we got a boatload of mission trips, short-term mission trips coming up in 2020 that we're going to be kicking off. Go to them. Be a part. Go through the train because you're going to learn to share your faith because here's the thing. If you can go over there and share it, you can share it here. You can share it. You can be a part of it. I love what Peter says. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ. Well, how do you honor Christ? Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet doing it with gentleness and respect. Prepare. Our responsibility to pray, our responsibility to prepare, and then our responsibility is to intentionally seek those opportunities, to live on mission, to build relationships with the idea, to get up every morning, Lord, let me, let me know. Now, you, you all know because you've been a part of my journey, 2018 was the year of weight loss, right, for me. What most of you don't know was 2017 was the year of weight loss and 2016 was the year of weight loss and 2014 and 2013, and I'll stop there. You get the idea, The idea was that every year I rolled in with the intention it's going to be different. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to watch what I eat. I got this figured out. And I basically brought nobody else into the process because I was going to do it. (laughs) And I didn't. In fact, I just kept getting bigger. 2018 was different because that's when, at that point, I had to get intentional. I had to bring other people in. I actually had to pay money for accountability. Here's the great thing about evangelism. You don't even have to pay money, but you can bring people into your life say, I want to be held accountable that I am learning to share my faith, that I am out doing it, that I'm praying for people. And you bring in that accountability and that commitment that we are intentional. Because here's the folk thing, folks. The coolest thing that could happen this year is that by the time we get here next year, we're not here, we're in heaven, right? Jesus comes back. But if Jesus comes back this year, there are going to be people who don't know him who are going to be left behind. We've got to live on mission. I would say there's one last little piece to this and that is you've got to tell us. You know, We're about 201. i got a feeling we've actually seen more people come to faith in Christ. You, you, maybe through family members, you've been on trips, you've gotten to share the gospel. You just haven't told us about it. We haven't been able to capture it. So we really need you to tell us. In fact, in the back, in that back corner right next to that left-hand door, there's a little booth that's being built. It's going to be ready to go next week. It's going to be there all year. We need you to stop by and tell us your story. You can write it down. You can do it on video. By the way, our junior high friends, it's not a kissing booth. There is a video in there. We will know. We'll send it to your parents, all right? But there's a little booth. We want you to stop by. We want you to tell us your story so that we can share the stories, and just like Paul says, we can encourage one another.